Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. This is Dumby Dum, the show about the reality docu drama that are centered in Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the foot washing evangelist, cleansing your souls, who goes by the name of Royfield Brown. Alongside me, seeking redemption and supplication is the saintly Rosie Porty. And then there's the man whose patriarchy has been smashed and who's been brought to his knees Quentin Rayner. And the last part of the Borchester Echo article, folks, is you, our lovely listeners. This week's Dumbly Dum is from Jeff. And on this week's episode, we hear views from Brian, Christy, Glyn, Jane, Linda Miller, Nick Roworth, and our Witherspoon. But first, it's Amber's week that was Ambridge. Hello, Dumpty Dum. I'm Amber, and on this week in Ambridge... Kirsty's activities to look suspicious as hell modus operandi continues as she visits Gavin in prison. My reckons are on a love affair based on the transcendent experience of dysfunctional trauma bonding. Mia's gone vegan and wants to smash the patriarchy. It would be endearing and fun if it didn't also happen to be incredibly bloody annoying. Lee wants to have a proper chat with Helen about how they interact with their kids, concerned about being the cool one. Against Helen, this is not bloody hard. Linda's back on Machiavellian form as she lightly persuades Kirsty to assist her as producer. God, I have missed top form, Linda. Thank you for that, Amber, me dear. Uh, as always, tip top. And we're going to be hearing you later on in the episode because you're doing the social media roundup. We always like to mix things up and do things, uh, I'm going to say arse about tit, but let's say Backwards from the normal dum-de-dum way anyway. Uh, Rosie P, I believe we have somewhat of a, a monumental electronic missive. We're going to lead in with that, aren't we? We are. So Owen Brannan 
has contacted us to effectively submit a PhD thesis on Peggy Woolley <laughs> as the main villain of the Archers. And in the interest of time, I'm not able to read the entire missive out, but I'm just going to hopefully give you the key bullets. So It was only 5,000 words long, Rosie. Come on. That's true. But, you know, we're not in Viva land just yet, even though it was the most amazing academic Archers conference at the weekend. Uh, so thank you very much to... Cara and Nick for making everybody's weekend absolutely amazing. But moving back into to Owen, so, so the subject is Peggy Woolley is the main villain of the Archers. And his rationale for this is that um, none of the kind of, I don't know, other kind of villains that we've been talking about for many, many years on Dumpty Dum in terms of the Titchener's, the Crawfords and the Horribans are nothing in relation to the demonising dictatorial debauchery of this narcissistic non-Nigerian nana in knitwear. So I'm saying that's with your teeth in. And Owen goes on to say that he was initially taken in by this seemingly lovely old lady at the head of this dysfunctional family, trying to mitigate their several unmitigated disasters. However, during Helen's prisoner cell block H experience, he began to feel that she wasn't as caring as he first thought and was, in fact, a little detached. And since then, after his vicious attack on poor Tony, this has solidified his feeling about her. And his view is that Peggy's special brand of malevolence in controlling her family for the entirety of the show has actually led to him loving her rather than hating her. Um, he thinks it's fascinating that the show that's meant to be about family and community has structured himself itself around a character who is intrinsically evil, using and controlling people through social and familiar constructs. And he then goes on to say that he believes that Vicious Hilda is just an extension of her true self in animal form, a demon, if you like, going back into Greek literature. Um, but effectively, Tony signs it off by saying, how, how much longer she will get away with this now? Tony's had enough. He doesn't know. But the reason she has is definitely down to June Spencer's amazing performance. Well done, Owen, for a phenomenal, amazing destruction and deconstruction of Peggy Woolley. And I'm sure that both Quentin and, and Royfield agree that Peggy is a complete and utter... I Quentin. don't. I don't, you see. I've always been a Peggy fan. I haven't listened long enough, I'll grant you, only sort of 20 plus years. And she's been on the show, what, 70 years, isn't she? To see her evil as you described, develop. I've always liked her, and I'll tell you why, because when she comes on, she cuts through the crap. You know, she's shrewd, she gets right to the nub of the problem. No bullshit, she's 100 now, 96 or whatever. And with Alice, you know, everybody was pussyfooting around apart from Emma, but that was out of rage, wasn't it? She sussed Alice straight away and we got to the nub of it. And I know people think she is manipulative and she, you know, she um, plays games with her family. But, you know, when you get to 96, you are what you are. And in fact, Lillian referred to that and she said she, said she ain't, she ain't going to change now. I, I just like the way she just cuts through it all. I always feel like the the plot has really moved on when Peggy's been on 
And I don't think she's as evil as, 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 as I would make out. She was very caring with Jack and his dementia. She took in Christine as well and maintained her friendship with her. She launched this very right-on green competition, which I know split the family. The only thing I will never forgive her is that it, it uh, foisted upon us the, the tedium of rewilding. But I'm, I'm a Peggy fan. I like Peggy. I'm going to get absolutely slaughtered for this, but I, I, like, I like Peggy. Royfield, are, are you in Team <laughs> Peggy or Team um, Sanity? Um, unfortunately, I'm Team Peggy. And Yay. I think that people are too quick to judge somebody who has seen a whole century of lifetime behind them. She is somewhat set in her ways. Quentin took the words right out of my mouth. Her and Jack and the dementia, heart-wrenching at times. She mm. was utterly a wonderful support and partner. And those were some of the most touching bits of the arches we've had in the last 15 years. She's a woman of a certain age. You know, she was part of the Blitz. She, she, she's seen her favourite child become a single mother at a time when that was still unheard of. And she went with Jennifer. We judge her solely by the standards of a 30-something, 40-something now, and it's utterly unfair. Uh, you know, I've made the point on numerous occasions that her relationship with Nolatando, wonderful. That's a relationship that spans three generations, two continents, two different uh, races of people. And, you, and if ever there was going to be... Um, mistakes, missteps, you know, things said inappropriately, even though she didn't mean it. You know, she could have done all those things with Nola Tando. Even her with Kate. She's incredibly patient and understanding with Kate. Is she perfect? She was nasty with Emma, wasn't she, about the cleaning? I thought... I, thought... I was just about to say, is she perfect? No. But hmm. that's what makes her a great yeah, character because she, yeah. she is real. She's not saint. And how many 96-year-olds could file a video clip insulting their 70-year-old son? <laughs> I mean, she managed to... She did it, didn't she? She filed it. Well, Kate helped her with that. Kate actually shot it for her. But that whole storyline ma makes no sense in terms of why wouldn't they just, as I said last week, just say, Grand, reshoot this. Tom, yeah, just reshoot yeah. it. You know, it's just yeah. utter nonsense. Yeah. But uh, in terms of really understanding Tony's pain, um, it was somewhat necessary, uh, but the, the the mechanism used was just ridiculously clunky. I am not in team sanity, I'm afraid, Rosie. Give it time, Royfield, because as the weeks and months progress and the rewilding goes to the wall because Pip <laughs> walked off and, you know, Tony kind of comes back and wants some affection and she doesn't give him his next toy train set and then and then and then and then I think for me some of the strange things around last week were umbilical cord around the next story narrative that Lillian was coming out with to Tony and saying well you do realize that because of the umbilical cord issue mum's never got over her guilt for that and there were lots of very strange language around Peggy's guilt towards Tony and just in reality she just doesn't like him and that's fine but, you know, we don't need some sort of like 1930s call the midwife rewrite halfway through an Archers episode. It's just my opinion. And I'm obviously coming from a minor minority position on this particular podcast. But maybe out there in the, the wider universe of Archers listeners, there are some people who are on, on my side. Oh, there are. That's why I'm, I expect to get slaughtered. I love Hilda. 
So you love the the animal manifestation of Peggy, yes, but just I not do. Peggy. Well, I tell you what, folks. Um, what we should do is maybe go and hear what the caller in this week have said on the Good Planet Dum Dee Dum. If you would like to sing or play us a Dumpty Dum, then leave us a message on SpeakPipe on the Dumpty Dum website, which is dumptydum.com. Hello, Ambridge3962. First up, it's our Glyn. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glyn here, back on location. In fact, back on all new locations. And uh, this week's picture is from a local church, reflecting the uh, fact that um, Alan and particularly Shula have been prominent in recent Archers episodes. So on to the Archers themselves and to that uh, Thursday episode where Kirsty went to see Gavin. Now, Gavin seems genuinely remorseful. I guess being the son of the master manipulator, that is Philip, we can't rule out the fact he may have learned many tricks from his father and is trying to manipulate Kirsty. But I don't think the scriptwriters are being that cynical, and I think his remorse is genuine. I think we can contrast that with Philip. He's obviously still in denial, at least was the last time we heard from him. I think also can contrast a bit with Brian, as I mentioned a few weeks ago now, Brian seemed to regard his wrongdoing in poisoning the am in very much transactional terms. He's paid his fine, he's had his punishment, that's it. No more to be said. Whereas Gavin seems to realise that serving the punishment that's no doubt coming his way is not going to be enough. And he is ha- going to have to do more to reform himself. So I think you know the good news for Gavin is that he realises that. The bad news is that it's actually going to be a very long and uh, pretty hard way back for him, I, I expect. But good luck to him. I don't think he's going to get together with Kirsty. I think uh, hopefully she's destined for a life away from Ambridge, which has brought her so much grief. That's all from me for this week. Thanks to all for producing the podcast. Keep going and stay safe, everybody. Bye. Wow, so Glynn is sending Kirsty away from Ambridge, it sounds like, and away from the very poor life choices and life partners she's chosen in the past, which would be sad because I love Kirsty and I would just love her to stay around and have fun at the Wildlife Trust, maybe hang out with Patrick a bit more. And I think she's got a little mentee on the way with Mia, who is going to smash the patriarchy and actually deliver some value in terms of agri-economics maybe at a local level and it was really lovely to hear that he's back on location and I loved hearing the bird song in the background I thought that was really really beautiful I mean Quentin in terms of his his deconstruction of Gavin as being genuinely remorseful do you agree that that Gavin is being honest or is he just being a mini moss I totally agree with Glyn Um, I listened to that those scenes with Kirsty, I thought they were really well acted. I thought they were very well scripted as well. And I thought his remorse was genuine. He's actually admitted it. He knows he's going to jail. He feels sick, doesn't he, that um, it, it took living with the lads to realise that they were being treated like animals by himself. 
and his father. He refers to himself as a coward. He says to Kirsty, I'm glad I got to see you and to say sorry. And he, then he finishes off, doesn't his peroration was, when I get out, I'm going to be a better man, my own man this time. And Kirsty says, um, I believe you, Gavin. And he says, thanks. That means the world to me. And I, no, I, I was, I was, I was definitely convinced by his remorse and his disgust at what they've done. And, and I know there's been rumblings, oh, will Kirsty and Gavin get together? Well, it's going to take a while, isn't it? So I think between now and Gavin getting out, um, she will hopefully have met somebody. I don't think she'll leave Ambridge. She's too important to Ambridge. So I think she'll hang around anyway. She's got a lifetime as um, of slavery, pardon the, the reference, <laughs> under Linda as her new producer. <laughs> who's, she's jumped from one fire into another as she cajoles and bullies her into being her producer. Couldn't agree more. The, the one thing I'll just quickly just say, though, I don't think we needed Gavin to say, then I slept rough as well and there were, you know, people peeing on me in, in doorways, yes. etc. That was a bit much. I, yeah, I, I wasn't really convinced by that either. I agree with yeah. you. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, what, what was good about it was that you really heard Kirsty listening, um, even though she was saying very little. It was mainly Gavin, wasn't it? But you were very conscious that she was listening. And I thought that was, in a way, excellent, inaudible acting, if that makes sense. Great call as always, Glenn. Uh, now, back in Caledonia, it is Jane. Hello, dum de dummers. It's a fantastic, gorgeous day here in sunny Glasgow. And I'm sitting in my studio. And I'm just phoning in to agree with Wirefield on last week's comments that he made on dum de dum when he made his point about Shula. Shula's tone is, I admit, off-putting, and I actually think she suffers from anxiety, so she overstates her point and can appear overly confident and also very annoying. But her journey towards ministry is very realistic. And I think I can say this because I'm a daughter of a Scottish man with a stepfather Presbyterian minister, an uncle Presbyterian minister, and a father who was a Danish Lutheran minister. And I'm also a vestry member of my local Episcopal church, which is the Anglican Church here in Scotland. And I'm afraid I'm a bit of a Glaswegian Shula, which is to my horror, obviously. Anyway, she does her best as Shula on a journey which is often a response to an unwelcome calling. And I can't think of any vicar or minister I've known who has thought, oh, I know, I think I'd make an excellent vicar. It's usually something which is and should be undertaken with much doubt and questioning and beating of the chest. And that's just what I want to get off my chest, which is that I agree with Warfield, and I think Sheila does take a bit of a bashing. She can't do right for doing wrong, partly because because of her faith. It's a kind of easy to call her pious and judgmental. But what she said to Kirsty was entirely right. Maybe didn't say it quite with the right tone, but that's what I feel anyway. Anyway, thanks, darling Royfield, and whoever is presenting this week. Thanks for all the joy you bring during lockdown. Thank you. Bye-bye. A Glaswegian Shula. Who knew? Jane, that is fascinating that you have that background and familial knowledge of the kind of tortuous process that folk who have this calling go through. And I think it's it's, it's very well said that um, people who are drawn to the church, you know, are not necessarily going to be a sort of confident, I don't know, business consultant going on, you know, The Apprentice, they're going to be people that do a lot of soul searching and will be doubtful and will question themselves 
along the way. So I think that's really well articulated. I think with, with Shula, I think the sort of she inspires so much passion across the sort of the, the listener community because she gets herself in a, in a bit of a pickle because she's kind of on a pathway that will go through multiple iterations. Um, there is a lot of learning for her to do and in a way a lot of soul searching about who she is and her identity and she's having to really question herself um, in order to be able to then have dialogue with her future potential parishioners and so it's, it's, it's not surprising that you know she does come across as being a little bit pious and again the kind of I think Jane's completely spot on in terms of the anxiety that then leads Sheila to appear to be overconfident and potentially hectoring in her conversations with others and so it's a really interesting again a psychological deconstruction of a a well-known and well-loved character by one of our fantastic and amazingly talented listeners because Jane is an awesome artist as well as being very close to the Anglican Church in Glasgow so thanks so much for calling in Jane I mean I think Quentin and Roy feel there's been a lot of Shula discussion over the past few episodes, but was there anything in Jane's call that made you kind of light up? Well, Jane's right inside my head. and I mean, I was, I'm going to get slaughtered for defending Peggy. I'm going to get hung, drawn and quartered for defending Shula because I know she is a bet noir for so many people. But I completely agree with Jane. I don't really have a big problem with Shula. I can see why she gets on everybody's tits and why she's sanctimonious and she's self-centered and she talks about me all the time. But I think her heart's in the right place. I've said this before on the podcast. I thought she was very touching and generous the way she looked after Freddie when he came out of prison and so forth. What really annoyed me about Shula, and it still hasn't been resolved, is I still don't know why she wanted to divorce Alistair. He was never given a reason and he never actually asked for one, stupidly. The other week she indicated she wanted a bit more fun, which is a bit pathetic, I thought. But <laughs> I think Alistair would be a lot of fun, as I think. Was it Sabrina Thwaite that, that had the <laughs> oh, yes, night yes. of passion? Or was it somebody yeah. else? Somebody got his middle wicket, yeah. Oh, goodness um, <laughs> But uh, I, I, I agree completely with Jane that she, I, I thought last week uh, that she was completely right to tell Kirsty what she told her. I know the tone of it annoyed people. Um, and detracted from what she was saying. But I, I could separate myself away from that and listen to what she was saying, and she was spot on. So this week, I defend Peggy and Shula. This may be the last you hear of me. <laughs> <laughs> from Jane, we go to Nick Roworth. Nick, first-time caller in a row. Nick, first-time caller in a row. But I have been on some of the Zoom calls where Roy Phil called me his bet noir. I've been hearing the Archers since I was born, which makes me a David, but not sure when this actually turned into active listening, but I do remember a lot of the earlier storylines. If you want to know where I'm from, you'll have to listen to Map Corner Podcast, episode 13. Last week, there wasn't much love for Tony, making him out to be really boring with his train sets. And I seem to remember that when he was younger, he had a sports car and a string of girlfriends before he actually wooed Pat away from a herd of Welsh blacks. I just hope that Peggy apologises <laughs> to him again, this time when he can actually hear and not in a coma near to death. Is that the end of Nick? It is. It's short and sweet. 
<laughs> I must admit, I've heard the line about the Welsh blacks like four times because I've edited it. He makes me titter every time I don't know what he says about me. I'm expecting Shirley Bassey or something or another with the Welsh blacks. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, I'll, I'll step back. Uh, rosy as you were. <laughs> well, I mean, bringing up Tony's sports car pass just makes me think of Joy and how much fun Tony and Joy could be having right now, racing around the village, cycling, communicating with cats and dogs and budgerigars and llamas, and just having a good old time and Tony getting his polish out. And I really wish that could happen more often because, you know, Madge does need a buff now and again. (laughs) (laughs) Nick, thank you for bringing Joy back into our lives. You are determined to get Tony and Joy together, aren't you, Rosie? You're absolutely set on this mission. I've never seen you so determined. Nick's reference to Tony's string of girlfriends staggers me. Where's he had the time to have a string of girlfriends? Because he... He, he made a big point this week of saying, I've been a good husband. I've been married for 46 years and my mother doesn't appreciate what I've achieved, blah, blah, blah. So where was the room for this string of girlfriends? Anyway, Pat, you must... Well, did, did you know that Pat had an affair <gasps> in the early years of her marriage to Tony? <sighs> so she was having it away with, I think, like um, a university lecturer on women's studies who hilariously <laughs> was a man. <laughs> and so Pat was doing her, sorry, um, having a romantic relationship with her lecturer while Tony's away pulling up the leaks. So, yes, that's why I am team Tony and Joy forever. And I think some T-shirts with that on would be lovely. Mm. Mm. Um, um, just just on the Tony being um, a bit, you know, a boy about the, a man about the village when he was younger, there is a real pattern because... David was 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 the same, you know, just before he really got stuck into Brookfield. He had his red XR3i Escort and he was driving up and down. And not that he had a whole string of girlfriends, but he had a few. But he was seen as dashing. So there's a real pattern of the, the young male heir start working on the farm. He kind of sows his wild oats, so to speak. And I would say that we, we're having a similar thing kind of with Ben, that, you know, he's uh, much more carefree, devil may care, so to speak, uh, than, than, his, than his other siblings. But this is a, a well-trod archer's pattern. Do you think Tony was hard done by... How do you think he handled all the, um, no, she's not coming to my 70th and then being persuaded by Lillian? I think, again, I thought that was a, a well-acted, well-scripted scene, the way that Lillian calmed him down, changed his mind, made him be the bigger man, because he was behaving a bit you know, like a little boy, really, up to that point. Although I can understand, you know, his, his 70 years of resentment was spilling out about feeling unwanted. But um, he got... He got a lot of grief, didn't he, Tony, for responding in the way he did. But I, 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 I thought it was merited because he was clearly deeply hurt by his perception of the lack of love from his mother and feeling unwanted and second best and so forth. So I thought that was convincingly done, but I liked the way it was turned and ultimately 
he saw that it was a good idea to invite her. What really infuriated me was that, you know, the great build-up to the 70th party was just thrown away. It was just a throwaway line from Helen to Kirsty, wasn't it? Say, oh, yeah, we had a nice party and uh, mum and, uh, you know, Tony enjoyed a whole load of videos and she, he was having a good laugh with his mum. And I thought that was a cop-out. I really thought, come on, you built it, built this up for us to see them all wincing when he watches the video. And then it was just a throwaway line. And they've done that before. It was the same with Brian when he was uh, facing trial for poisoning the am. You thought, right, we're going to see Brian, is caught, Brian in court. He's day in court. Let's hear his defence. And again, that was just a sort of reported one line about, oh, yeah, yeah, Brian pleaded guilty. And uh, yes, he's got a big fine. They they keep doing this, building up for a moment and then just dismissing it um, with a casual sentence here and there. So I really hope that, you know, all this build up to Philip being brought to justice and all that, that they don't just say, oh, yeah, yeah, Philip got uh, 10 years. We ought to, we need to see him and hear him on trial and see him brought to justice. Um, you know, a bit like the, the Helen trial, which was great radio. I mean, I was listening to that verdict on a train, desperately trying to hear the verdict, and the, I lost the signal. It was like, oh! So I think if they throw away Philip's trial, I'll be furious, absolutely furious. Thoughts? Mrs. Trellis will be furious. I don't think they will. I think probably mm. it was a technical thing in terms of not being able to get all of the different actors together. I would have For thought the party. The party. For the party. So I think more of a technical I would have thought Barry. Yeah. I'd have thought. Yeah, and, and also because, you know, Lillian had kind of smashed him over the head with the umbilical cord guilt flipping <laughs> nonsense, <laughs> you know, there was never going to be a big confrontation because Lillian, you know, basically just drove him towards accepting oh, yeah. that. Oh, she played, she played him really well. Yeah. She did. Yeah. And, I thought, and, and to be honest, it's, you could do, you know, a complete psych evaluation of that family and, you know, Peggy's narcissistic behaviour and her controlling behaviour and the fact that there are no boundaries. There's a huge problem with boundaries and, in a way, you know, relationships in that family where Tony just has given her emotional control over him and he should just be able to say, she's a mad old bat, she's mean, she's horrible, but she's my mother, so whatever. But because he's never been able to get over not getting that toy train set in the kids, you know, the, you know, the toy shop window when he was four, you know, and he's there, he's, he's built up this kind of Holliton Junction railway extravaganza. And I thought he was going to get a little figure of Peggy and get a train and run her over. And maybe he should do that to process. <laughs> like some of like a voodoo. Like a voodoo doll, yeah? <laughs> yeah, he should. He should just get a little, you know, a mini Peggy and then get his new train from Justin and Lillian and squash her because he, it will just he, help him. He did stand up to her, though, didn't he, when she announced the green competition? He, he was really against that. So that's the first time I can recall that he stood up to her. So he, he's capable of it is what I'm saying. He is, but he should just, I mean, he should just be able to, you know, as a 70-year-old man or however old he is, be able to recognise that she's controlling, she's mean, but she's his mother and she's never... Well, that's, what Lillian, that's what Lillian did, didn't she? Yeah. So I think, you know, Lillian did a very good job of just, you know, moving moving mm. it forward. But again, that psychological manipulation and Tony, you know, just needs to wise up to what these controlling females are doing because Pat's the same as well. 
you know, what is he playing at listening to these controlling psychopathic females when he could be out in the open road? Rosie, Rosie. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) He he Uh, could be enjoying himself with joy. That's what I want to happen, but I'm not going to go on about it anymore because it's probably very boring for people. (laughs) There's only a a limited amount of service space for this as well. Mm. Uh, Tell you what, there is a limited amount of space for cramming in all these caller inners because we have a last minute uh, addition to the team, Matthew Weir, uh, who's uh, now sent us in uh, a caller in a call. So my goodness, folks, uh, we, we're full to the gills of them on this week's Dum Dum. Now it's Brian. Hello, all. It's Brian. Not much to say this week except I just wanted to phone in to say how bloody awful Tom Archer is. He's got really worse. <laughs> he gets away so much. He pulls this. He does things entirely for his own self-serving interests. And then when he gets caught, he plays dumb and says, oh, I didn't really think about what I was doing. No, he just didn't. He's just a, he acts cowardly and self-serving all the time. Um, so I'm afraid he's right up on my list of my bridge farm dislike list now. Um, um, and he- Helen was behaving reasonably as well today, which really through through me she acts like a reasonable human being which is very strange but tom is just awful and i'm sick of him and he's 40 years old and he acts like a teenager um but that's it so um all the best to you nice to talk to you okay thanks then bye bye i love the idea of brian's bridge farm hate list Mm. and the fact that kind of they move up and down and I completely agree, you know, Tom is cowardly, self-serving. He always has been. When he was having an affair with that lady from the supermarket behind Kirsty's back, he was unfaithful to Brenda as well, I think. And he's just a scumbag. And I mean, I can't wait for Natasha to get her stilettos out, take him down, and then run off with the profits from the Bridge Fresh app. That's what I would really love to happen, because Tom is just horrendous. But Quentin, do you like him? Do you seem to like all the people that I don't? At last we agree. Yay! I, I cannot bear Tom Archer. He's he's right up there. Brian's spot on. Um, he just, just irritates me. Um, just the way he says Natasha annoys me. So we're, we're on, a, on a loser right from the start. So, yeah, he... Uh, Brian... Um, says that he plays dumb. He is dumb. I don't think he plays it. He's dumb. I was going to say everything he does is wrong or is infuriating. Again, I with the Harrison thing, I, I thought he was right. People say he was dobbing in his 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 wife and good friend. I don't think that's where he's dumb. I don't think it even even occurred to him by phoning up a police officer off duty, it might actually get those he loves in trouble. I think he was genuinely trying to get some advice without thinking ahead what that might actually entail. I think he was right to get advice to warn off Natasha and Kirsty from looking for the lads because it's an active case. The way it went about it was, was dumb because he is dumb and very irritating. So, yes, I'm with you on that one, Rosie, at last. Harmony has been restored. I mean, Roy, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't remember what you think about Tom. 
I'm with everybody on this. You know, Tom Archer uh, is somewhat insufferable. So, yeah, I'm with everybody. We're all hugging each other. It's a kumbaya moment. We all agree. At two metres, yeah? Uh, of course, of course. It's a virtual kumbaya <laughs> hug. Well Until done. June. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was Brian. Now it's Christy. It's your time, Christy. Hi, Christy from Illinois here. I'm calling in part to follow up on the discussion from last week's Dumpty Dom um, regarding Shula's handling of Kirsty's request. I thought I was really surprised at uh, the level of anger or um, the reaction against Shula's behavior. I thought that Shula behaved... Um, in a completely appropriate manner, given Kirstie's request and her own specific role and, and ethical behavior as a potential vicar, um, it was completely inappropriate for Kirstie to ask that. And I think that Shula's response may very well have been the kind of frank, real response that Kirstie needed to hear instead of the patronizing response that she got from Helen and instead of the lying sort of cowardly response that she got from Tom. Um, you know, Shula said, look, you're really, this is not an appropriate thing to ask me and you need to not ask me that. That's inappropriate and you need to really think about what you're doing. And I think that in that sort of firm voice, it may have been exactly what Kirsty needed. Um, and it sounded like this week, Kirsty may, some of her inappropriate um, sort of manic kind of behavior may be petering out. She went and she talked to Gavin, still ill-advised, but maybe it's finally sinking in that this is not the way to handle this situation. Um, certainly, I'm excited to see what Emma's doing for the community and hoping that Kirsty will find that kind of um, action inspiring for her to get herself back on track and to sort of deal with her own feeling feelings of complicity in all of this, that a much more productive and proactive and not self-centered approach will be the best way to move forward um, and help Ambridge recover from this sort of issue. Well, I think Christie's absolutely spot on in terms of sort of her, her view about the fact that, you know, Shula was right to refuse to go undercover into prison to sort of try and, you know, get some information from Philip about where where the boys are. I mean, it was completely crazy of, of Kirsty to, to suggest that. And indeed, I think sometimes when someone is going through a huge psychological trauma, which Kirsty is, people do need to be kind but firm in terms of saying this is what is, you know, a reasonable thing to do. And getting a trainee vicar to go undercover in a prison is definitely not that. And again, I completely agree that if Kirsty can start to focus on proactive, productive outcomes for the village as a way of, you know, making some recompense, because even though she wasn't aware of what was happening, she didn't ask questions. She was completely blind to what was going on. And she didn't really, and, and, and she didn't listen to Roy, the wonderful, ex, you know, exhilarating powerhouse that is Roy Tucker. She didn't listen to him and he's one of her best friends. So when he was raising questions about Blake being related to Philip, Kirsty should have listened. So I completely agree with Christy that as a way forward for Kirsty, she really needs to start thinking about practical, productive things rather than undercover missions for future vicars. 
the fan club for Shula is gets another member, doesn't it? I mean, this, this is extraordinary. Uh, mm-hmm. Shula gets another pat on the back. And I'm completely with you, Christy, uh, from Illinois, uh, for the reasons that I stated earlier on in this podcast. So, yes, I think that she was quite right to tell Kirsty what she told her. And this idea that Kirsty needs to channel herself into more pro- proactive and productive outcomes. Some would say this would justify Linda putting all this pressure on her to become her producer. I don't think Linda is being altruistic in this at all. I mean, she claims that she's not trying to manipulate Kirsty in becoming her producer and a dog's body by the sounds of it. But she is. And I, I think we saw a side of Linda this week that wasn't particularly pleasant. I'm, I'm a journalist. I'm used to not accepting no as an answer. But there comes a point where you have to accept it. And she just wouldn't. She kept on and on and kept coming back to Kirsty and saying, I know I'm, I might have appeared to be ambushing you, but um, I really am going to be persistent like Robert said and blah, blah, blah. And Kirsty kept saying, no, I'm not interested. I'm not in the right place. And I know this raised hackles on f- our Facebook page, I think Mia certainly got really fed up about this from Linda. And I know, Royfield, you're a huge fan of Linda. You think she's the soul of Ambridge, and she is in many respects. But this week, she was out of order, I thought, and um, I didn't particularly like her. I agree. Literally everything you've said on this week's episode of Dumpty Dum, I've agreed with Quentin. I think uh, Linda is. It's not extraordinary. Uh, but uh, Linda fundamentally is the beating heart of Ambridge, but she overstepped the mark. I understood what she was trying to do, which was to get old Kirsty's mind off this obsession with uh, finding the boys and the fact that she's generally has more tact and diplomacy. She didn't display it uh, this week, and it did feel hectoring. We had two episodes where she was trying to. Yeah, yeah. She's become messianic, hasn't she, about this? these mystery plays and talk of redemption and then washing the villagers' feet. I mean, it's like, what was going on? You know, this is madness. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, everyone in Dumpty Dum Towers and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. First off, a great suggestion last week by Ann Carey for the end of podcast songs. Paper Tiger. Loved the version Royfield played. Also last week, Pete referenced Kirsty going through the stages of grief, but couldn't exactly recall them. Five stages, as originally conceptualized by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in 1969. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. We now recognize that people don't go through the stages in a straight line, but there's bouncing around. I'd say Kirsty's pursuit of the boys currently puts her in the bargaining phase. Now, could you imagine if you put Peggy, her three kids, all their kids, and the following generation in the same room? There would be some intense family therapy going on. We were all disappointed that we didn't get an actual glimpse of Tony's 70th birthday dinner. Instead, once again, we learned about it after the fact. Old school Peggy can be sweet and supportive with others, outside her family, such as Emma, but she's tough as old boots when it comes to her children and cannot utter the L word. To tell you the truth, I wasn't a fan of Lillian's intervention. One of the first things she said was that Tony was overreacting, 
and then proceeded to say that Peggy didn't mean to hurt him and explained her behavior away as being typical mum. Lillian also deflected the blame onto the doctor. She didn't once acknowledge Tony's feelings. Well, somehow it all seemed to work out, and the conflict between Tony and Peggy was mended. The Ambridge Fairy has once again swept in, sprinkled her stardust, and quickly fixed a problem that should have taken much longer to repair. Talk to you soon. The Ambridge Family Therapist Fairy definitely was running around sprinkling some dust here, there, and everywhere in, in relation to Tony. And I think it's it's just interesting because... When people talk about the five stages of grief, it's not a linear process, as, as Witherspoon was saying. People bounce around and go through um, the phases iteratively because in order to actually process grief in relation to betrayal of such an extent that, that Kirsty's experienced, you know, it's, it's completely shattered her, her vision of herself as a person. And it'll take a lot to rebuild that. So she's going to be bouncing around those five stages for a while now. And I, I also agree with Witherspoon in relation to, to Lillian, because again, she just kind of hammered him home in terms of getting him to accept that it's just mum rather than acknowledging the pain that, that Tony genuinely felt. But was there mm. anything additional, Quentin? There was quite a lot of chatter, wasn't there, on the various platforms that Peggy shouldn't have been allowed to get away with it. She should have actually been confronted and told, look, Peggy, that's a horrible thing to say. By the way, you've hurt Tony for seven decades, and it's about time you recognised it. So I think there was a, an understandable feeling that why does Peggy always get away with it? Why should she be allowed to get away with it? It was sort of accepted by Lillian and Tony eventually because we ain't going to change her. She's 96 years old. Um, I completely agree with Witherspoon that you know, he was – disappointed and frustrated there was no party scene we learned about it after the event and as i've explained before i think that was a cop-out and it annoyed me so um yeah pretty much agree with all of what witherspoon said you know say that message to hurt tony but it absolutely came over as crass and, and insensitive and if she'd have just been pulled taken to task and, and shown that it was i'm sure she would have as he says you know what fair cop I'll record it again. Uh, Tony, you are my only son. Uh, you know, I love you, blah, blah, blah. And it would have been mm. all fine. And then they could have sat down afterwards. But yes, anyway, moving swiftly on, because we are repeating ourselves ad nauseum. Peggy was wrong. Tony was hurt. It's Linda Miller. Hello, Roy Field and fellow Dumpty Dummers. This is Lindy Lou here, otherwise known as Linda Miller from Wanstead. I'm a first-time caller in and I've been listening to The Archers all my life, uh, although I started listening in earnest when I became a student in 1975, so I think that makes me a Brian Aldridge. I remember his arrival in the village. He was very much the slightly evil, hard-nosed businessman that nobody liked, very similar to the role that Justin played when he first arrived. I've been prompted to ring in defence of Shula. I think a lot of the comments about her have been rather unfair, and particularly from Peter, who I think, because he's only a recent convert to the Archers, he doesn't know her backstory and maybe doesn't understand what lies behind some of the things that Shula says and does. I've known her so long, she's a bit like an old friend that I've known most of my life. 
Her conversation with Neil reminded me that she was very popular as a teenager, a young woman. Both Neil and Nigel were in love with her. I remember a scene when they were talking about her as she approached them, and Nigel referred to her as Venus in green wellies. She's been through a lot in her life, with infertility, the sudden death of Mark when she was newly pregnant, single parenthood, taking over the stables from Christine, affairs with Alistair and Dr Locke and inability to choose between them. She's had to rely on herself, and the failure of her marriage really knocked her confidence. But her capacity for self-doubt and questioning will stand her in good stead as a vicar, and I for one wish her well. She was spot on with Kirsty, by the way. Bye. <laughs> wow. Well, I think Linda again. We have it's it's just it's, it's just so fascinating, you know, the sort of the the, the Schuler dichotomy uh, within the, the the listenership. And I think actually, I suppose if you've grown up with Schuler and you've been alongside her, whether in a hedgerow with Doctor Locke or um, at the funeral of her husband, then you will have that more rounded understanding of what makes Shula tick or, or not tick a lot of the time. And it's a, what a lovely phrase, Venus in wellies. Maybe that should be Shula's strap line on her social media uh, postings on um, Jennifer's village website. Is Jenny still doing the website? Because we haven't heard anything about the website recently. And I think Venus in wellies would be a lovely strap line for our burgeoning vicar, Shula. Mm. I think I never knew that uh, Nigel and Neil wanted to see a different sort of strap line from Shula. Um, <laughs> it's fascinating to hear from from Lindy um, all the way back to 1974. Respect, you know, she's a Brian Aldridge double respect because he's my favourite character. Um, so, you know, Lindy really is interesting to hear why she has such a connection to Shula in particular. And, um, you know, it's Team Shula. I mean, I've, I've defended her several times during this podcast, and I entirely agree with what Lindy's saying about, about her and what she said to Kirsty. And interesting how she sees Shula's constant self-doubting and questioning, which many people interpret as sanctimonious and self-centered. She sees it as a strength in terms of her future ministry. So fascinating insight from, from Lindy, for such a long-term listener, and delighted that you're a first-time caller in her as well, Lindy. Well, have, let's, please, can we hear more from you? In fact, you, along with um, uh, another of our caller in um, Nick, you're the second so far first-time caller in her. So thank you. Delighted to hear from you. Absolutely. I can concur. That is most wonderful that you are properly part of the gang, Lindy Lou. Now we end up with a new favourite. It's Matthew Weir. Greetings, all Dumpty Dummers, Roy Field and lovely co-hosts. It's Matthew here in northern Portugal. This week, Alan had the fortune of bumping into Linda, seemingly on her way home from a six-day music festival. Her idea of washing the entire village's feet didn't, well wash with Alan, and Linda later returned with less spaced out suggestions, presumably after the regulation 10 cups of tea, lie down under a warm blanket, and listening to Ambient House Grooves Volume 5. This week also saw Tony, model train obsessive and all-round ball of fire live wire, turn the big 7-0. Tom showed his usual level of emotional understanding when instead of sitting on Peggy's video roast, 
he decided to play it to his father instead. This sent Tony off his miniature rails, and the vengeful son issued a grand ban on Peggy. Luckily, Tom only played Peggy's earlier You Were a Shock routine. Heaven knows what would have happened if he'd heard her later aimless baby material. And then Lillian did what all good Archer siblings do. She brought Tony round by way of bonding over what an entitled git Jenny is. And unlike Peggy, it was us, the listener, that didn't get to go to the party. We only heard about it anecdotally, which leads me to believe that somewhere on the script room floor is a lost scene where Peggy takes a fire iron to Tony's trains before ramming a falcon flyer right up his Hollerton Junction. Ciao, Genchi. Stay safe. Obrigado. <laughs> He's wasted. That guy should be writing comedy. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. That is a perfect point to say, Rosie, do we have any emails with an H? Yes, we do. So following on from the uh, the psychological thesis that we received earlier on in the show, um, we now have a, a wee email from the lovely Carolyn Cooper. Uh, her email is, um, hi, it's Carolyn from Leeds. I'm sending this email with an H because all my attempts to ring in were thwarted. First, the phone line just rang out and then SpeakPipe rejected my microphone. What inspired me to get in touch was the return of the lovely Mia. She represents the teenagers that I know. She's passionate about current issues and interested in the wider world. And surely these are things to be encouraged. Whilst Eddie said it with humour, his line that she was a stroppy teenager was unhelpful and could discourage her from developing her own ideas. After all, the family deem her to be adult enough to, to play a major part in the upbringing of Parpy, so surely she's adult enough to have a valid world view. This week, I've had a bit of a Radio 4 binge and listened to Malala on Desert Island Discs and the reading of the Bill Gates book. Malala illustrates what a difference young people can make, and whilst Mia may not be as articulate or have as fully developed ideas, she should still be taken seriously. Bill Gates is saying the same thing as Mia, with a lot more science thrown in, and I urge anyone who doubts the seriousness of climate change to listen to the Book of the Week recordings. And finally, how refreshing is it to hear a Grundy woman who hasn't accepted her role in life and who wants to smash the patriarchy? Go, Mia! Look, I've got no problem with Mia sounding off about veganism and saving the planet and all that. Just the wrong time. Uh, and I, But since we had it, so we have to discuss it, um, I thought the scenes were nicely handled, actually. I thought both Clary and Eddie listened to her with respect and gently put, particularly Eddie, put the, the opposite point of view. And, you know, I learned stuff myself about the, the counter-argument, so that, that was quite interesting. Some people objected to the, uh, yes, you are trying, you're definitely trying, I'll, I'll give you that sign-off from, from Eddie. I, I think that went over her head. But, um, yes, it's good to hear a stroppy teenager and idealistic and so forth, but... Well, I'm just glad that Mia's back, because I, I loved her as a character, and uh, if we're going to have... Uh, bit of an eco-warrior, ethical, pure, evangelistic, smash the patriarchy teenager. You know what? Great. And because I love them. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Now it's uh, time for Social Media Roundup. You've heard her once, you're going to hear her twice. It's Amber. Hello, Dumpty Dum. Amber here again to give you the Social Media Roundup. General talk in the group has largely revolved around Mia's vegan rantings, Kirsty and Gavin, with a little side of Linda. I'll start with a post by our very own Lillian McCarthy, who was feeling annoyed. Okay, so this is not going to be a popular post, but tonight's episode made me think seriously about stopping listening to The Archers. I'm getting very, very sick of being guilt-tripped. Tonight's episode has to be the most annoying I've heard in a very long time. Tommy Croson said, I think it's how the storyline is being told to us as listeners rather than the content. They've addressed the story in the wrong way, in my opinion. It perhaps should have gone to a more elderly character but predictably, really, for the Archers. (laughs) And Sean Brown responded to this with, What in particular annoyed you? I thought the vegan segment was pretty clumsy. Stephen Bowden was much more forgiving of Mia's rant. I think it was a reasonable representation of an idealistic teenager bumping up against the real world, so perhaps clumsiness was deliberate. David Egan, a name often cropping up in my social media roundups, said... I did like Mia saying that just because she was a teenager didn't mean she could be dismissed. I liked Eddie's non-dismissive parrying. I agree. He was open to listening to and educating Mia and actually opening up a dialogue to make her think. You know what conversation I would like to hear though? Mia and Kate. They've arrived at veganism from very different angles, so I'd really love to hear how that conversation goes. As much as I'm sure it may bore and annoy many. (laughs) Mia Fox kicked off a conversation with some spicy takes on Kirsty's situation with Linda. The Dumpty Dum community is very broad. Many have commented for and against the vegan environmental thrust from Mia. Others on Kirsty's blinkered approach to her situation by wanting to visit Gavin. 
What really got me from tonight's episode was just how much Linda was bullying Kirsty into producing her next venture, even though Kirsty said multiple times that she didn't want to. But because Linda is such a favourite character, brackets not of mine, it will probably be glossed over as gentle persuasion, as she called it. Suzanne Steele weighed in on this, saying, Deliver us from Gavin and Philip and Kirsty et al. Why do I have this terrible premonition that once Gavin gets out of jail, he and Kirsty are going to get together? Please write them all out, scriptwriters. Bring back some of the humour and escapism of old The Archers. Surely some characters still exist in the village that could visit more often with us. And here it is time for Amber's unpopular opinion. But the absolute chemistry with Kirsty and Gavin is something I cannot ignore, and I would definitely be keen for this pairing. And for a final comment that did make me chuckle, as I was not a present listener for this period of time, Richard Lucas asked, Does anyone remember when Pat walked into the village shop and said, Can I have a pot of yoghurt for Tony? And someone muttered, That's a good swap. It must have been a good 10-20 years ago, but who told the joke? I personally actually really cackled at this. Is my sense of humour too bloody simple? Maybe. Thanks all, and see you again soon. Bye! Amber, thank you for that as always. Mr Quentin, you've got mm. a bit of a hard act to follow. Well, both Peter and I, and Peter mentioned last week, got it in the neck from Andrew Horn, uh, who didn't like us having too much banter to do with the, with the tweets. I think a little bit of banter is okay, but I, I know we're short for time, so I will crack on with them. So I have picked out three tweets from the week. There's a bit of a... a a food theme to, to to at least two of them. But here we go, in reverse order, as is the way, and I have awarded the bronze tweet to Kernal Ian, who's uh, known on Twitter as at Kernal27. And he reflects that Mia has matured quicker than a vat of sterling gold butter. <laughs> Which is true. In second place, in silver position, it comes in from Rob Titchener, who's Ooh. yes, He's not who, well, the, the, as, as, a, as as at Titchener are, he is, and uh, this is takes us off into a slightly different direction. But here we go. Rob has written one of Tony's distant relatives was a train fanatic too. Apparently, he died when he was struck by the Flying Scotsman, trying to get a better view of it they installed a commemorative plaque for him. His family said he would have been chuffed a bit. (laughs) (laughs) And in gold position, tweet of the week, it is uh, a tweet that, Rosie, you had a part to play in because you teed this one up with this. Is it a cheese-themed wedding to which Linda Top of a Hill, known as At of Linda, replied... Who will clear up the debris? <laughs> I Brilliant. love that. Amazing. Like that. Amazing. Yes. There you go. So that's my gold tweet of the week. Congratulations to those three. Well done, sir. You didn't let yourself down. Those were awesome mm. tweets. Uh, Dumtodum.com, folks. Go there. It's got awesome things. You can buy stuff in our shop, and you actually are. Also, there is Tractor, the social network, which is just rating and primed for when blooming lockdown is over then you'll be able to go on there and say oi you live approximately a mile away from me or relatively close why don't we meet up walk our dogs have a coffee talk about the archers and maybe 
Quentin and Rosie into the bargain too. So that's what you can do on dumdum.com, folks. You can buy stuff. You can get onto Tractor. And when you go onto Tractor, upload a picture. It's just nice to see everyone's happy, smiling faces. And if you happen to live in South America or in Africa, extra reason to sign up too because there's precious few of you on those continents. And they're fine continents. I love Africa and I love South America. And that's just empty apart from just one dum de dum on each continent. If you would really would like to help out the podcast, what you can do is go onto Apple iTunes, write us a, a review. We love that. And basically what it means is when you write us a review, uh, more people then get to know and hear about the show. So um, write us a review on Apple iTunes and then more people get to hear about us. And we have more dum dummers for the reasonable price of $2 per episode, $2 US per episode. If you go onto patreon.com, you can support the podcast. Now, I'm in a little bit of a quandary, folks, because initially when we started doing all the Patreon stuff, the whole idea was to give the patrons extra content. So what I am going to do is have one last Zoom, which I'm just going to throw it out to everybody. Um, it's with mm-hmm. Andy Hockley. And you're going to go, Andy Hockley, who's that? Philip Moss. That's who Ooh. it is. We have him. Philip Moss wow. is going to be on a Friday Zoom. Uh, we've got to do not this Friday, but the Friday after. Um, he's well up for it. So the evil Philip Moss. You'll be able to throw your rotten vegetables and fruit at your laptop screen because we're going to have Andy Hockley, a.k.a. Philip Moss. So, right. And then after that, I'm going to have to rethink things. You better buy some more server space for that because it'd be inundated with people wanting to join that Zoom cast, I'm sure. Let's hope that we have server meltdown. And then after <laughs> that, folks, I'm going to, uh, I think, rethink things because I think our Patreons do deserve some, some extra goodies uh, for giving us their $2 per show. So if you'd like to join the patreons who support the podcast uh quite simply go to patreon.com it's two dollars per show remember to get in contact you can send us a voice message via speakpipe on the website dumptydum.com and of course don't forget twitter it's uh, where of course dumpty dum was born as royfield always says and we now have a really good team of uh running the uh, dumpty dum account who are constantly updating. So well done to them. And do get involved with the tweet along. It's, it, it runs all through the week, but particularly on a, on a Sunday morning during the omnibus. But the important thing always is to use the hashtag, the archers, but with a capital T and a capital A, because that means that those who are visually impaired can see the tweets and take part as well. So thanks to our social media supremos, Cosmo for his podcast roundups, Mike Hatton for his character counts, Shambridge for her voices, and the awesome Lucy V. Freeman. See the finishing line. It's inside, folks. But I'd just be remiss of me not to say Facebook. We're on Facebook. Uh, Download the Flick app. Uh, where people have been talking about cocktails this week, their favourite cocktails. And, of course, there is Film Club. So if you like a little bit of film action, why don't you go on to uh, the Flick app and join us for Film Club, which will be happening in two weeks' time, where we're going to be watching the 40-year-old version. Um, There you go. End of the show. And um, I've got a piece of music, and hopefully, hopefully, our... My co-hosts will allow me this little indulgence. Now, I had the idea because uh, the great Matthew Weir talked about ambient uh, house music. I thought, 
How about the Orb? They were big in the old ambience in the late 80s, early 90s, with their classic little fluffy clouds. So behind me, you're hearing the twinkling, lovely electronic sounds of the Orb. Tatty bye, Tarara bit. Uh, Quentin, do you have a sign-off? I can't remember. What's your sign-off, sir? Thank God that's over. Smashing. Uh, <laughs> Rosie. Get on with it, Joy and Tony. Or stay safe. There are a bit. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.